0: Hey, Good morning church family. Great to see all of you in person. Thank you for the praise team for leading us in that time of worship this morning. It's very powerful. So grateful for all of you joining us online uh, this morning. So glad uh, that you were with us. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 it says this, God our Savior desires for everyone to be saved. So one, it tells you that God has desires. We have a God who has desires and his desires aren't for people to try to earn themselves or get to a point where then God wants to save them, the desire of God is for everyone to be saved. But that's not all the verse says. It says God's desire is for everyone to be saved and God's desire is for everyone to grow in knowledge of the truth. So there is a desire on the part of God for people to be saved. So if you're in the place today, if you're in this space of worship with us and you have never made a confession that Jesus is the Lord of your life, you've never been baptized into Christ, This morning at the end of my message, we're going to have prayer leaders and elders who will surround this room to receive you for prayer. You can go to a connect card on our website. If you are looking to make that next step in your faith, we are here to help you make that step. And there is a desire on the part of God for everyone to grow in knowledge of truth. And when Paul uses the word knowledge, he's talking about practical action, not just what is in your head, but how do we practice what we believe. And this is for everyone to take that step. So this morning, I know we are in this space, and I want to work us through two verses today. We're in a series in the, in the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, and there are two verses I want to help you with today. Verses 12 and verse 27. So repeat after me, 12, 20, 27. Two verses, and what I want to do is I want to help you know these two verses. I want to help wrap these two verses with context. There are moments this morning I want to go for your head. I want to go for your mind, your thoughts. I want to inspire your mind. I want to help you to think. And there are moments this morning I want to go for your heart. I want to inspire your heart. I want you to respond. And hear the invitation of Jesus asking you to respond to what these two verses have to say to you in verse 12 and in verse 27. Now, I don't always know what God is doing, all right? I don't always know. I can't always interpret the work of God, but I know this today. I'm pretty sure I know this, that the Spirit of God in the next few minutes is not going to lead you to scroll through Facebook to see what you're missing in the world. And I'm pretty sure the Spirit of God isn't going to lead you in the next few minutes to make sure your fantasy football team is set. I think there's a good chance we'll be out of here by noon today, and you can do that, all right? We are a church, and when we come together, we're taking steps closer to the heart of God. So let's model here in the next few minutes for children and teenagers and for people on our pews next to us and for guests in this room that we are a church, that we are stepping closer to the heart of God. We're not just in here trying to get through the motions so we can check all the boxes and get on with our day. We are here to step deeper into the heart and mission of God. So chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Paul's writing to a church that he dearly loves. And what he says is, hey, I just want you to know, and here's what I want you to know, that whatever has happened to me, and I want you to think about those five words. If you highlight in your Bible, you underline things, if you're taking notes today, here's what Paul says. I want you to know this, whatever has happened to me. This has happened. So that the gospel of Jesus can advance in the world. This has happened so that there can be advancement of the gospel of Christ. All right. so what does it mean for you to make this an anthem in your own life? Like for you to use this to like change your perspective. Because all of us have those whatever has happened to me moments or events that have happened in our life. Whatever has happened to me. So throughout this morning, I'm going to be asking you to reflect on what those five words mean in your own life. Whatever has happened to me. And how can we surrender those whatever has happened to me moments to the work of God, to surrender them to the work of God, that as we place them before God, we are asking, okay, God, can I get to a point in my life that whatever has happened to me can be used to advance the gospel in the world? I am not suggesting that whatever, those, whatever has happened to you moments in your life, that God calls them, I am suggesting that God can work in and through them. Whatever has happened to me. And in verse 27, what it says is this, that whatever happens, live your life, or in some of your versions, conduct yourselves, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I want verse 12 this morning to serve as an anthem and to be a verse that you can look to that can shift your perspective in life. That whatever has happened to you, whatever will happen to you, can be used to advance the gospel of Jesus. And I want verse 27 to serve as a challenge in your life. That what does it mean and what changes need to happen in your own life for you to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because this isn't just a verse for some people. This is a verse for all people. Now let's wrap both of these verses in a little bit of context. In verse 12, whatever has happened to me. So Paul is writing, and this is a portion of the letter where Paul's writing somewhat autobiographically. He's writing about his own life. So what is it that has happened in his own life? And we're left to just kind of play with it. I don't think this is because Paul had a flat tire, so whatever has happened to me, that he's talking about that kind of suffering. Whatever has happened to me, we know that Paul endured physical persecution. We know he was betrayed and rejected by a number of friends. We know that Paul also spent time in prison. He is writing this letter from prison. So as he's writing about whatever has happened to me, Paul is writing to a church in which they have suffered together. About a decade before Paul wrote this letter, he was in Philippi, where he was in jail, had suffered physical abuse and persecution and was released. They had been through things together. Paul was a guy that could roll up his sleeves and he could show you scars and marks and he could tell you what city they happened in. Like over here on the tricep, this is when I was in Philippi. And let me show you my lower back. Like this was in Iconium or Lystra. Like he had marks on his body for the sake of Christ. And he says, whatever has happened to me can be used by God to advance. And this word advance this is a word that can mean forward movement in spite of, a, of, of, a, of obstruction. It's what might appear to be a drawback or a hindrance is actually progress. So as Paul is saying this and talking about advance and the gospel of Jesus advancing, he's saying like all the challenges that can happen in your life, the gospel of Christ can still advance. It doesn't mean God is causing it, but God can use it to help advance the gospel. And in verse 27, you have this phrase, live your life, or in some of your versions, conduct yourselves. It's one word in the Greek, and it's literally be a citizen. So Hellenistic writers, writers from many, many years ago, used it to reassure allegiance to a form of government. It was a practical point saying this, what we do shows who we are. What we do reveals who we are. So think about Paul using this, a word that would have been used to talk about allegiance to a government, Paul is using to talk about allegiance to the gospel of Christ. Live your life, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul is making a point to say the way you live your life and the way we live life together should be a demonstration to the world of God's faithfulness. Without us even having to say something, without words coming out of our mouths, people should know there's something different about believers in God. There's something different about the way we live, how generosity flows from us, why we are people of grace and mercy and compassion. Like The way we live our life should cause people to say, there's something different about you, and what is it? So, whenever I think about this, I often think about the story of a woman, Dorothy. I was preaching a sermon... About this very thing. I was preaching a sermon about how our lives can be an example to other people. Like without us even having to use words sometimes, our lives should be a witness. Like evangelistic fervor, evangelistic opportunity should come to us just by the way we live our lives. There was a couple who came into the church that day as I was preaching the sermon. It was, a, it was a woman in her 60s and her dad who was in his mid-80s. They had just buried her mother, his, his wife. Her name was Dorothy. And they came up at their church and they were like, we can't believe that the day we came to church, you're talking about what it means to live your life and by the way you live your life, it can help other people know who God is without you even saying anything. Just by the way you live your life. They said our mom, Dorothy, she said, my mom, Dorothy, was a woman who we described her in two ways. She was a woman who loved God and she was a woman who loved to talk. How many of you had mamas like that? Love God, love to talk, right? Two years before Dorothy died, she had a stroke that left her speechless. Couldn't say a word. And because of where she was physically and somewhat mentally in her life, they had to put her in assisting, assisted living. But even in there, Dorothy began to make friends. Couldn't say a word, began to make friends. By the expressions of her face, the touch of a hand, so that she would... Uh, Sitting next to other people in that assisted living place as they watch tv and she would hold their hands and and just the way she lived her life for two years people knew there was something different about dorothy and there was one woman she befriended in that place and the day dorothy died that friend said hey i need somebody here to find me who dorothy's minister is who is dorothy's pastor so they brought dorothy's minister up there and she said look I, I never had a chance to have long conversations with Dorothy, but I just need, I want you to help me know who Dorothy's God was. There was something different about that woman. And they shared the gospel of Jesus with her. And in her wheelchair, they led her to a baptistry in a church down the road where a few people lifted her out of the wheelchair into the water and baptized her into Christ. A woman who couldn't speak a word, yet the way she still lived her life was a message, was a witness to somebody around her that there is something different living in me. So maybe you've heard the quote that's sometimes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which has "Preach the gospel at all times and, when necessary, use words. A guy named Vincent in the 1500s probably was inspired by whatever quote was attributed to St. Francis, and he said this, "'If God is the center of my life, no words are necessary. Your mere presence will touch hearts.'" So in verse 27, what Paul says is, "'Whatever happens to you,' like whatever happens, conduct yourselves or live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence,' I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Well, Paul is talking about in verse 27, it's not just whatever happens in your individual life, but as a church, we are striving together that our witness to the world is our togetherness, our unity, even all the different people who come to make up the church, when people around us see that we are sharing life together, it becomes a witness to the faithfulness of God. Now let me help wrap verses 12 and 14 just a little bit. In verse 12, it's now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And here's verses 13 and 14. As a result, it has become clear throughout the, throughout the whole palace guard, literally it's the Praetorium Guard, it's become clear to them and to everyone else that I am in change for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The Praetorium Guard was a group of soldiers. Uh, The emperor had palaces all over the place. And in the palaces, it would have been like the secret service, right? They're there to protect the emperor. They're there to protect the palace. And when people were being held as prisoners in those places, they would protect them and wait for whatever sentencing was coming to them. Here's the cool thing there would be a guard change every four hours. Every four hours, guards would change. And Paul wanted them to know that where I am in jail, everybody has heard something about Christ. Because for Paul, he wanted them to know that I may be in prison, I may be in chains, but the gospel of Jesus can't, can't ever be chained. I can be in a cage, but the good news of Jesus can't ever be caged. So even where I am every four hours, there are new guards who come in and I take it as an opportunity to somehow strike up conversations and I want people to know about Christ. And according to Paul, he's letting them know everybody who comes through here has heard about Christ. So in verses 14, 15, 17, and 18, you have three different words Paul uses about proclaim or speak or teach or preach. Because in verse 27, Paul talks about you live your life in a way that honors God. But earlier, what he wants people to know is, four different times, there are times, live your life to the best you can for God. And know that you've got to open up your mouth sometimes and talk about Jesus. Like, live your life to the very best of your ability in your life. should be a witness, but for the love of God, let's open our mouth and let other people hear what Jesus has done for us. So that the world doesn't just think we're just good people because we're striving to be good people. Well, we're good people who've been touched by God. We are good people who've been changed by Jesus. It's not just that we want to be generous people who are compassionate in the world, but we're generous and we're compassionate because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, here's the hard thing. Because Paul's talking a lot about suffering, right? Like, whatever happens to me and whatever happens to us and suffering and pain, and yet we're still going to believe that the gospel can advance And we're supposed to use our mouths and use words to help people know about Jesus. Yet there are some times when there are forms of suffering and pain that we're not sure how to put words to it because we aren't sure what God is doing in the midst of it. Like, where is God in this? Is God in this? Why does God allow certain things to happen? On November 1st of 1755. Anybody alive? November 1st, 1755. November 1st, 1755 there was an earthquake that hit the chief city of Portugal tens of thousands of people died almost wiped out the entire city and November 1st for years has been All Saints Day and I know churches of Christ were not a part of a tradition that that honors saints so Catholics and some other branches of the Christian faith like saints is a big deal and I, and I know in some ways like saints can be elevated uh, to, to, that we pray to saints to intervene for us. But in some ways, All Saints Day is like we just want, we want to honor men and women of faith. So November 1st, 1755. A city of a bunch of people were getting together to honor saints, to honor men and women of faith, and there's an earthquake that kills tens of thousands of people. So what immediately happened is you had philosophers and teachers who tried to use that to explain either that God doesn't exist, or if God exists, he's not as loving as the Bible sometimes portrays him to be. And does this not happen after almost every event that happens in the world? Like you have televangelists and you have people who, who want to try to interpret or use it as hey, this is proof that God doesn't exist or God's really not loving or God's really not as involved as we think God may be. Even Shakespeare, and I know, Shakespeare, I know he wasn't known for like, being the spiritual giant, right? But even he made little, like, wrote these little things like each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. Like aware of the suffering and pain sometimes that we can't put into words. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And I've clung to this quote by C.S. Lewis because there are times I want it to be true, and maybe there are times it has been true, but for me in my life sometimes, it's not that God has shouted in my pain, it's that I can't hear anything from God in my pain. But what Paul wanted people to know is that Paul wanted to interpret chains in the moment. He wanted to interpret his chains for people. So Paul lets him know, "I'm in chains, but let me interpret this for you. Even though I'm in chains, the gospel of Jesus isn't in chains." 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9. That's exactly how Paul says it. He says the word of God cannot be chained. So Paul even embraced a moment in, in his imprisonment as they can chain my body, but they can't take from me what I know to be my worth and my mission in God. That they can chain me and tr- think they're holding me down, but by the joy of the Spirit that will not let me go, I'm going to be a witness for God even while I am chained and prison. See, so he wanted people to know, look, I'm going to interpret my imprisonment for you. Fred Craddock says it like this. He says, yes, Paul needs to interpret his chains. Suffering and justice, even death, can be endured if someone can make sense of it. If it can be shown that some cause, some purpose is served, but there is no pain so sharp as an uninterpreted pain. No tragedy so heavy as one without meaning. So here's what Paul says in verse 13 and 14. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they're all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What he wanted them to know is even in my chains, the church that is around me right now, my chains have caused them to be courageous in their life. Courage grows in the face of suffering not just by sitting alone by itself. It grows while being surrounded by suffering. Verse 12 and verse 27. Verse 12, about you getting to a point in your life where you can say, whatever has happened to me, five words, whatever has happened to me can advance the gospel in the world. And for you embracing a challenge of verse 27 of how am I living my life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, what I want to do over the next few minutes is try to argue that these are choices that you make and choosing to make the choices to honor verse 12 and verse 27 today can impact the kind of person you will be years from now by making a choice that I will choose whatever happens in my life I'm gonna believe that the gospel can still advance in this world and by you choosing to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ there's a woman named Andrea she became a friend of mine a few years ago She's a great author and years ago, Andrea and I were sitting, uh, we spoke at the same event together, and then we were on the same flight. So we found ourselves at a gate, sitting next to each other. And has a- done a lot of work talking about faith and suffering. And she was a woman who, early in her life, her parents were missionaries in Kenya. So early in her life, she saw a lot of pain. So in her teenage years, she began to question the existence of God because she saw a lot of pain and suffering and sickness and death, a lot of injustice. And a lot of the injustices she saw and the sickness and pain. In her teens, she began to question God. In her 20s, she rejected God and rejected faith. And then she found herself in a conversation with a young man who was, who was on like the, very, the same path she was on. It was a man who had grown up in faith, And then began questioning God and then rejected faith. So that night they were connecting through how they had rejected God and rejected faith. And then she heard like the way he was articulating his movement away from God, God used to help bring her back to faith. So then she wrote a book about it. And in the book, here's what she says. Here's what Andrea says. That when people ask me, What drove me out the doors of the church, and then what brought me back? My answer to both questions is the same. I left the church in part because I was mad at God about human suffering and injustice. And I came back to church because of that same struggle. I realized that I couldn't even talk about injustice without standing inside of a theistic framework, of a framework about God, in a naturalistic worldview, a parentless orphan in the slums of Nairobi can only be explained in terms of survival of the fittest. We're all just animals slumming it in a godless world, fighting for space and resources. The idea of justice doesn't really mean anything. To talk about justice, you have to talk about objective morality, and to talk about objective morality, you have to talk about God. And then she began to piece back, in her story, how God was piecing back together her faith. And it became a choice for her. In verse 12 and 27, it's a choice we make. And by making these choices, it can transform the perspective we have in life for years to come. Back in 2009, I was asked to write an article for the Christian Chronicle. So I went back and I found the article this week. And as I opened up this newspaper, there was a big picture of me on the, <laughs> like, with the article. <clears throat> All right, This was like back in... This took me back to like Olin Mills picture days, right? Like I... I don't know what pose I have going on here. I don't know how long this was my headshot. I am like, oh my goodness. All right, so 2009. So then the article they asked me to write for the Christian Chronicle, a publication primarily in churches of Christ. If you go to the next slide, the article was this. What kind of Christian do I want to be when I'm 70? Which I know having questions as titles isn't supposed, like you're not supposed to do that, but this was the topic they gave me. They wanted me to write on this. I was 29 when I wrote this. So, it's a it's a lengthier article, but it basically had four points. When here's the kind of Christian I want to be when I'm 70. The point number one was this I do not want to be driven by fear. Well, let me say this. Anytime I go back or people like bring up an article I've wrote or a book I've wrote or sermons I've preached and they're gonna make a point about it. Sometimes I'm so nervous about the point they're gonna make because I don't know if I still believe what I used to say. But here are four points I think I still believe in that I made in this article. One was this, I do not want to be driven by fear, no matter what happens in life. I don't want fear to keep me from living as a person of joy, of hope, of risk-taking for God. Point number two is this, that I want to value mission over traditions. And if you go and read the article, you see that I am not anti-traditional. I'm not against traditions. But often what, what has happened in, in, in some churches, it's in the larger global church, is sometimes traditions have been made sound doctrine in a way that drowns out the mission of God in the world. That sometimes we can hold up traditions as this is something that cannot be moved and sometimes when that happens, it can strangle the mission of God like moving in and through people. So I want to be a person who isn't anti-traditions. Traditions Traditions can be good, but it's holding up the mission of God no matter what the mission of God has to go forward in the world. So as the church, like the goal of the church isn't to make people into good church of Christ people or good Baptist people or good Lutheran people. The goal of the church is to make people into faithful disciples of Christ. And the church has to make careful that we're not trying to indoctrinate people into our church, but trying to disciple people into the ways of Christ. It's not always the same thing. The third, third thing is this. I do not want to be driven by comfort. All right, so the older I get, decades later, when I'm 70 years old, I don't want to be driven by comfort when it comes to faith in the church. And the fourth thing is I want to help people dream with God. I always want to try to live my life as a minister and as a follower of Jesus, as helping the next generation and helping other people to dream big about what God is doing in the world. And then I finished the article like this. That I want to be able to let go of the church of my upbringing and to help the generations under me to dream with God of what the gospel needs to look like to reach the people of the second half of the 21st century. If it means that I need to sing songs that just don't do it for me, I want to sing them with passion. If it means that I need to serve in a soup kitchen full of prostitutes and drug addicts, I want to be at the table. And if it means that I need to dye my hair blue to reach some kids, I want to do it. I want the spirit of Paul to be in me that I have become all things to all people that I might be able that I might by that I might by all means save some. At 870 seems like a long ways off but I want to set in motion some principles and disciplines that will form me into the person who thinks lives and breathes the gospel story of Jesus and when I turn 70 I hope someone will dig up this article and hold me accountable. In Romans chapter 9, and this is not on the screen, but here's what Paul says, verses 19 through 26. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that my speaking with all boldness, that Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. And then Paul's going to talk about this tension in verse 22. Like, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two because my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. And since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Basically Paul is saying I think I'm at the end of my life because I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to escape imprisonment and if I die I'm going to be with Christ so it's gain and if I'm here I'm going to live for Christ and it's almost like Paul is saying I'm wrestling but God's made a decision for me and God's choice for me right now is that I'm alive so because I am alive I'm to live for God and God's choice for you this morning is that you are alive you're alive The mercy of God is on your life. And because of this, whatever has happened to you or whatever will happen to you can be used by God to advance the gospel in the world. And for everybody, God is asking, live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Fred Craddock says this, He says, only by the Holy Spirit can the church experience the miraculous shift of attitude from assuming that wherever the Lord is, there is no suffering, to believing that wherever there is suffering, there the Lord is. God is there. So one more look at verse 12 and verse 27. Because Paul's speaking about his own life. He's inspiring people to think about their life. But now I want you to think about is if this came from Jesus. Jesus fully embodied verse 12. Paul gets this kind of attitude and this kind of life from Christ. Jesus is the one who, whatever happens to me, whatever has happened to me, is going to be used to advance the gospel in the world. And Jesus is the one who modeled all the way to the point of his death to live your life in a manner worthy of of the gospel of Christ. So I want to ask our prayer leaders to go around the room this morning. Randy Frederick, one of our elders, is going to be to my right. My wife, Casey, is going to be to my right up the wall. Laura Moore is going to be to my left. Sam Carr is going to be in the back, one of our elders, to receive you. And everything we do in a worship service comes together at this point. All that we've done, what we do at the table with the bread and the cup, everything about our faith comes together in this moment how God saves, how God redeems, how God forgives, how God causes us to look back in the past and to see what God has done and to move us forward into the world. And it is a meal that we get to take together. And in this, we are reminded of Jesus who whatever happened to him, he was willing to endure it because of what it could do for the world. And that Jesus was willing to live in a way that was obedient to God even to the point of death. So today, let's take the bread and the cup, both with gratitude and with hearts that want to be deployed into the world for Christ's mission. And if there's any way we can pray over you or be a benefit to you, as you try to think through those whatever happened, has happened to me moments in your own life, we are here to receive you for prayer. So all these prayer leaders are going to be in these places for the next few minutes. We're going to take communion We're going to sing a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. If there's anything our prayer leaders can do for you in this time, we are here to receive you and to pray with you. And for everyone else here in the next few minutes, you are invited to the table to take the bread and the cup. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. For God, everything that has happened in this space this morning, we give you thanks through Christ. For a church you have brought together, for a church you were uniting together, for the church you were deploying, you were sending throughout the Mid-South and beyond, we give you thanks. And all of this, Jesus, is because of you. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for the love that continues to flow from you. And we receive it today with grateful hearts. Through Christ we pray and the church said, Amen. amen.